Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. We exalt the Lord. Um, We exalt the Lord Jesus. Uh, This is beautiful. Um, It was great to worship in song. Uh, You know that Anna was singing a beautiful song. But she was also, you may not know it, she was uh, inviting us into um, a spiritual battle. So uh, you, may, you may or may not know that you signed up for that this morning when you just started following the words on the screen. But when we are, when we are proclaiming the kingship of Jesus um, over all the gods, that's what we're doing. And um, I'm, I'm excited this morning to share with you more from Jesus's life. Um, I, was, I, was, I really enjoyed last Sunday. I don't know, for those of you who were here, um, did it just seem like just people and group after group coming forward and sharing what God had given them, service to the church, encouragement, gifts. It was just, I just thought that was really special and, and um, consistent with uh, what Matt was talking about in terms of our theme for this year, uh, us all fall, fall, finding a place to serve in our giftedness with joy. Uh, it was really exciting, and that's that's why the preaching team chose to go through Mark at the beginning of the year, because um, for us to serve with giftedness in our place of calling, with joy, uh, we need to know who we serve. We need to know what it is he is doing. Um, he's our king. And so we're going to be going through, continuing in Mark this morning, uh, just to learn about Jesus, to learn about his life. Um, the, the Gospels are a, a great way for us to meditate on the things Jesus said and the things Jesus did. Um, certainly, his presence has been in the church since then. And when we look around, we can see that he's still active and he's still alive. Uh, but sometimes it gets fuzzy when we just look around the world and try to piece together what's really important to Jesus from all the voices that claim to know him and to follow him. So let's, let's pray this morning before we begin. Lord Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, we do exalt your name. We lift up your name um, in our hearts and in our community this morning above everything else that sets itself up as a God. We uh, we pray that you would be with us this morning. Through Through your word, you would clearly show us your power, your call to each one of us. I pray that you would give 
give me words, God, and call to remembrance the things uh, that we've been, when pre- been preaching the last few weeks. And your Holy Spirit would tend to them, um, that you would be here with power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in Mark chapter 3. We're going to read, continue to read uh, Mark's account of the life of Jesus. And what I want to talk about this morning, um, as we go through this chapter, uh, I want to talk about three houses. So we're going to read this account of Jesus uh, over several days and weeks, probably, Um, but As we go, I want us to see um, about three different houses that Mark tells us about. So we'll start in verse 7. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed. From Galilee. And also from Judea. And from Jerusalem. And from Idumea. And beyond the Jordan. And the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crowd him, for he had healed many, with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. So we'll stop there. Um, The first thing I wanted to call out is, as we're just observing what's happening here, uh, lots of people, lots of people from all over, all over the place, people are coming. And why are they coming? Well, it says, He had healed many, and the people who were um, possessed by demons had unclean spirits tormenting them. The spirits recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. And so more and more people were coming to crowd Jesus. So if we continue, I'm going to skip... Uh, Verses 13 to 19, I want to come back to that. This is uh, Jesus appointing the 12. But if if we skip past that, then in verse 20, he comes home from doing that, and the crowd gathers again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he's lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. So again, lots of people. So many people around Jesus that he has to get an escape boat, that he's unable to eat. Um, You see there in uh, verse 21, his own people, as his relatives, come out to rescue him. They think he's, he's unwell, making poor decisions. And the scribes, the religious leaders who see this, all the people crowding around, coming to Jesus because they hear of what he can do, 
and the power that he has. The scribes accuse him of collaborating with Beelzebub. Now, this is not a term that you probably would hear normally today in America. Um, This was the uh, primary uh, demon, the primary false god in Canaan, Baal. You've probably heard of Baal for a thousand years. When the people of Israel entered the promised land, this is who they were contending with. This was the God of the Canaanites. And you, you, if you've read any of the Old Testament, you've probably heard of Baal. He keeps popping up. The people of God continue to worship Baal in between very short periods of dedicated worship of the one true God. They're worshiping this false God, this demon. Jesus says in a minute, we're going to read that he, he calls him Satan. So what I wanted to point out here was not just what they say. We, we, we see obviously they get it wrong. I mean, they're, they're, they're calling Jesus Satan, and, and Jesus will address that. But I wanted to also call out what they're not saying. So um, there's, they, aren't, they aren't saying this isn't real. They're not saying it's a figment of their imagination. They're not saying he didn't really do it. There, there is a common understanding that, yes, We've been here, we've been in this land for a long time, and we have seen that people are tormented by Baal and demons. And many, many people, so many people that Jesus has to like tend to himself and protect himself are coming to be relieved. Now this the, the scribes understand that, the people understand that. There's not a debate or a discussion about what's really happening. The, the scribes are just trying to, to blame Jesus and to say that it's not really the power of God that's doing this. So first, I, I wanted to lay that as a foundation that this is um, and, and I know um, Ellen also, when, when Ellen, when you preached uh, a few weeks ago, we also had Jesus casting out demons. And you know, as long as we stay in Mark, we're going to keep seeing it. Um, this is something Jesus does. This is a key part of his ministry. And, you know, one thing, you know, as I was, I was preparing, uh, one thing I wanted to point out um, that, that another teacher had shared was, you know, these are not, you know, if you kind of think about who you might just expect, we all come with probably a different background or understanding of spiritual forces, but who you might expect to be um, tormented by evil spirits or demons. Um, I mean, the, the people generally of Jesus's time in, in Judea, the, the Jews, we're, we're generally good people. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're all the same, but I mean, these were moral people. 
Um, they were religious people. Um, you know, there are pockets of the world, and even in our own country and, and society today, where we would say are just completely godless and open to doing anything that's evil. This was not who was tormented here. This was a very religious society that, um, that we would call very traditional, very conservative. And they were still uh, tormented by the god of the land, Baal, Beelzebub. And I want to also just remember, you know, kind of remember um, in, in Ellen's sermon, we talked about Jesus as a great physician, and I, I, I really like the idea of him being able to diagnose every problem. He was very good at diagnosing problems. And one of the things that he was able to do here is he had crowds of people coming, and he knew how to help them. And for many of them, the way they needed help was healing. Uh, we've read in the Gospels stories of God through Christ, you know, Jesus healing um, deformities, illnesses, terminal illnesses, um, what we would probably call psychological problems, um, and, and, and many, many times spiritual torment, possession. And Jesus knew, Jesus knows what is needed to heal. And he had the authority to cure everyone. Okay, so I wanted to talk now about this, um, this first house. So if we keep reading there in verse 23, this is Jesus has a chance to respond. And Jesus called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. So they had accused him of being in league with Satan. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. He's come to an end. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first finds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So this is Jesus's response. And I just wanted to briefly comment on verses uh, 28 and 29. Um, we probably won't go into it a lot in detail this morning, but I would, I would say for sure what we need to take away from 28 and 29 is it is very important that we do not criticize the work of God. Very important. So when we begin to criticize, when we begin to say something is of the enemy, we need to be very cautious and careful about that. God will help us not to, not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit if we rely on him. That's, that's all I want to say about that. But I want to go back to this house that Jesus talks about. So Jesus says there's a house. What does Jesus say about this house? What are some things that he says about the house? 
it's falling. It's, it's on the decline. Who's, who's in charge of this house? Satan. It calls him a strong man. <clears throat> the scribes uh, equated him to the ruler of the demons. What's in this house? <laughs> What's inside the house? Yeah, it's not just Satan and his demons, is it? So he says, inside the house is property. It's property, and what does Jesus say he's going to do? He's going to tie up Satan. He's going to go into the house, and he's going to get out the stuff that Satan owns. And... He started to do it. He's, he's already started to do it. But this is his parable. This is his explanation about why he's stuck on a boat trying to not be pressed with a crowd of people. This is what's happening. It looks like he's just meeting one person at a time and helping them with their problems. But what he's actually doing is he has bound the ruler of this house and he's going into the house, and he's taking the things that were owned by that, that strong man, and he's redeeming them. So what I wanted to talk a little about is Jesus did that. We are not at the end of the record of all of the times Jesus did that. But I also want us to understand that it was not just Jesus who did and who does that. The, the apostles in Acts continued to cast out demons. They, they, they walked in the ministry that Jesus started. And actually, something noteworthy, uh, I think it is important, we're going to maybe briefly cover uh, God, uh, Jesus ordaining the 12 on the mountain in between these two stories of exorcism. But Jesus is instituting a new Israel by calling 12 apostles. And part of what has to happen for God to have his house, for him to have his people, is we've got to clear out the one who was in charge before. And if you think about all of the things Jesus did, um, Jesus did many signs and many miracles. But the best I can tell, this is a new thing. So all, all of the miracles that were done by the prophets, all of the truth that was spoken before was to a people who were still intermarried and living among people and inviting false gods and the worship of Baal into their homes. And there had not been 
a ministry of spiritual enforcement before. This is Jesus. He's, he's come in and he is spiritually enforcing the kingdom. So Jesus says that this house is on its way down. And Jesus is bound the ruler of the house. And he is showing what it's like to go into a house that alarm has been disarmed. The owner doesn't have any more weapons and is tied up in a chair and has lots of important, valuable stuff. What, what does it take to go in and get that stuff out? You just got to walk in there and take it. It's, it's not a castle that has to be besieged. In fact, if you read the first examples here in the, you know, these, these verses, the demons are throwing themselves at Jesus' feet. You are in charge. You are the Son of God. So it's important for us to recognize that as we walk in the power and the leadership of Jesus. It's not really a battle. We talk about spiritual warfare. We talk about battles. I, I don't want to say it's wrong to talk about it like that, but it's really a victory that Jesus is leading us in. Okay, so that's, so that's the house. That's the house that many of us have come out of. Many of us have been plundered out of that house. And what does it look like when we're a, a property of that strong man? There's lots of, lots of different things. Um, I don't want to, we can't, we don't have time to get into all of them. But I wanted to um, maybe a, a, a more familiar passage talk about what it can look like. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, I wanted to also um, share from Ephesians because I wanted to show that Jesus in his life and his ministry operated in um, battle against the enemy in calling people out of this house. The apostles did. This is a letter to the church in Ephesus. And Paul says, oh, you guys remember Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, well, before the grace part, before the saved part, let's go back to verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to, what, the age, according to the course of this world, according to whom? The prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So, so Paul says, Jesus has already bound the strong man, but now 30 years later, 40 years later, there is still a prince of the power of the air who is still operating among the sons of disobedience. And I, I, I wanted to bring this up because this is one of the most basic ways to recognize the work of the enemy 
and to recognize who, including ourselves, may be still under his power and influence, is that they're called the sons of disobedience. Where there is disobedience, where there is rebellion, where there is pride exalting itself, that is the work of the enemy. The enemy is, is, is in charge. We are bound in, bound in the enemy's house, in Satan's house. And, and I, won't, I won't have time to read it, but how, how do we operate then? As Christians, how do we walk in a world where there is spiritual power leading people to be disobedient? But Ephesians chapter six, how does Paul end his letter to them? We, we, I think we're mostly familiar with what he says in Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10, he talks about the armor of God. And he says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where our fight is. We, we often get distracted about where our enemy is and where our fight is. And Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church, decades later, is saying that is still where our fight is. We've been saved from this house. So I want to ask if there's anyone in the room who can remember before you were a Christian, were there patterns or habits of disobedience that you could not control? Could I, just something that specific that you think about before you were a Christian that you saw, you, you, you sinned and there wasn't really a way to stop it. Anyone? Okay. So before Christ saved us, we were enslaved in this house over here. We were in this house and we were disobedient. And there was nothing really we could do because apart from Christ, we had no power. So for those of you who raised your hands, have you seen the power of Christ to free you? Stand up. Stand up if you have. So, so this, this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. Jesus takes us from being bound up in this house and he frees us. And there are all sorts of ways that he does that. Um, you know, we can be bound up in addiction, in religion, in pride. We can be bound up in so many ways. But Jesus comes in and he frees us. And what do you think our response is once we've been pulled out of this strong man's castle. What do you think? Glad, glad I'm not one of those guys. 
What, do you, what is it? You know, I was, I was thinking, I was uh, talking with a, a brother, um, and we were talking about kind of this, uh, this concept of the spiritual battle metaphor, and battle, the war metaphor. And, you know, I was thinking, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a shooter, active shooter, and Jesus comes in and finds us and saves us. But that's not, that's not all that happens. You know, he doesn't just save us out of a dangerous building um, because what he then does with his disciples is he says, well, now you're the SWAT team <laughs> and, and you need to go back in there. And actually the one that's going around and actually causing real harm and in, inflicting real problems relative to you, what they've got isn't even a weapon. So go, go back in there. So that's something we need to remember as well as we're grateful to God for rescuing us and remembering that we, before Christ, did not have the ability to make these decisions, to honor him and to glorify him. We need to remember that he calls us to others as well to take the message and the power of Jesus. Okay, so the last part here, verse 31 we read about another house. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Great. I would love for them to come in. I haven't seen them in a while. I've been kind of weary, working real hard. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So we're gonna talk about this house, which is Jesus's family. And the, the, the family that Jesus was given the family who many members later, after his resurrection, become his followers and do work uh, to help establish the church. But at this point, Jesus all, almost completely disregards them. I mean, I mean, depending on where you know you culturally may come from, this, this is odd or potentially highly offensive. Uh, we just taught a, um, a first class of biblical parenting this morning, and we started out saying it's good to have a family and you should love them. So what does this mean? And I, and I think if you go back to verse 21 as well, you see them acting to try to help Jesus out, to how to help protect him. And it's, it's important for us, uh, just as we see the sometimes uh, very obvious work of the enemy to torment, to lead in disobedience, sometimes we also need to recognize that it's not just the enemy and sin, overt sin and you know, demonic oppression that keeps us from following God. 
And Jesus is resetting here. There are many other places. We talked about some of them this morning in our class, and, and you could go look them up. Many other places where Jesus is intentionally challenging our view of family and its importance. It is important to God. But Jesus is, is challenging it because it can be and often is the way that the enemy keeps us from obeying Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to say. But Jesus says what my family, the family that I'm instituting here, is a, a new family. It's a new house. And, and as I said, many of his relatives we know after his resurrection joined that family too. And how do they do it? He gives here in verse 35 the criteria for being a part of this new family, this new house that he has created. Whoever does the will of God. And I, and I think he's bringing back, really, you know, there, there's, there's a house we're all born into in our family. There's a house that many of us are imprisoned in as the enemy has control over us. But then this house that Jesus has instituted is a house that's based on obedience. Obedience to God. And this is what, what Jesus is delivering people from and to. From obedience to the strong man, demons, and two, obedience to Jesus. And it's important that we recognize, I think, that even though we have security in our natural families, we have security and love and fellowship, we can, that those are not eternal. And sitting at Jesus' feet in obeying him, in putting our full trust in him for salvation, that is what joins all of us, unites all of us, everyone in this room. It's obvious, you look around the room, we don't have the same mom and dad. But because Jesus has called us and by his power pulled us out of the clutches of the enemy, we now share a father. We share a brother. And all of us are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children to one another. Um, you know, I, th I think in both cases, both of these houses that are lesser, you know, one we would say is evil, one we would say is lesser. Both of these houses, when we're called into Jesus's family, it comes with some trauma. And for, for some of us, you know, we talked about getting pulled out of a way of life, being pulled out of addictions, being pulled out of relationships that are evil, 
and another were pulled away from, directionally away from, relationships that may have been good. But for many of us, leaving that family is very traumatic. For many of us, that, that family may not believe in Christ. They may, you know, we saw even Jesus' family was trying to prevent him from engaging in ministry because they probably cared about him. And that may happen to us as we leave families who think they know what's good for us and think that following Christ is a bad idea. But for these, but for these, um, these houses, it is the power of Jesus who calls us out of both of them. And it's because of his love for us that he does. And he, he brings us to a place where not just those of us in this room who, you know, I'm just going to guess have somewhat similar commonalities and background, but for all of the Christians who live across the world today and who have lived since Christ, he calls us into one family. And, and what does that mean? You know, I go back to this, the song Anna had us sing when we, we sang about Jesus' name being above all gods. All gods. Not just generally above all gods, but Jesus' name has power over Satan. Baalzebub. Baal. Shiva. Buddha. If we, if we live in the U.S., he has power over the god of greed. Pride. Jesus is over all of those gods. And the demonstration of Jesus' power to rescue from sin in every language in every country around the world since Jesus is a, is a proof and a testimony to his sovereignty. He is the one who we serve. That's who we serve. It doesn't matter. The, the demons 300 years ago in pick any random country... They fled when Christians spoke the name of Jesus. Demons 2,000 years ago did that. Demons today, pick any country, flee from Jesus. He is the, he is the only name with that authority. And we... Who, who knows? Who knows? In the in the, who knows why God called us to be in His family? Who knows? But that call comes with responsibility as well. And I wanted just to note, you know, when we get finished today, um, if 
if there is something specifically that you would like prayer for, we're going to be at the front. The prayer team will be here. Uh, elders and deacons, if you feel, feel comfortable, come up to the front, and we will be praying for you. If you don't feel that you have been freed from the strong man yet, please come forward. We will pray for you. If you have difficulty with your family relations and you're not sure how to handle them or you need God's help or wisdom, please come forward and we'll pray for you. If you're ready to take up your SWAT gear and there are people that uh, God has laid on your heart today and you need prayer, please come forward. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the testimony of your life, Jesus. Um, It would be, it's hard, it's hard, but it would be way harder um, for us if we didn't, if we weren't able to look and to read. But it's so clear to us when we do that you are the sovereign king. You are the, the God above all gods. We pray that you would guide us today, that you would lead us in triumphal procession, that you would show us your love and your victory and make us your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Elijah, could you hold on a second? I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Um, I'm taking notes and I'm, <laughs> maybe others have had similar questions, but one is, so the three houses, the house of the strong man, house of your own family, and then the house of God. I know, and as you were speaking, when I left the house of the strong man, the trauma you talked about, I still feel the calling of that house, the habits, the, the rewards. What do you say if, if folks here are feeling that same temptation or from your own family, the same calling, the same patterns yeah. that are not godly but are part of the house that you were part of for so long? What do you, yes. what, what's, the, what's the help for that? Yeah, um, well, I'll try, try to be brief. Um, you know, we, we, are, we are called to walk in the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're called each day to take up our cross and to walk in the Holy Spirit each day. It's a, it's a choice that we need to make. Uh, we will be tempted. But I also believe that we become comfortable in this house. And I think each one of us needs to, through the power of Jesus, address where we see we are still in bondage. Mm. We, need, we need to pray. We need to pray that Jesus would release us from bondage. If you are in bondage today, that is not God's plan for your life. It is not something that is normative for the Christian to walk in mm. until they die, is bondage. If you are in bondage today, Jesus can free you. And we need to boldly ask for that. We need to, to boldly go, go there. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Elijah. Appreciate that, brother.
Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known.